Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Standard Grimaldi Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, uh, which means I spent my day trying to focus on Terry McLaurin's uh, extension talks, an article that is up on The Athletic. Uh, I spoke to a bunch of sources around the league for that. That was what I tried to focus on. But of course, this being the Commanders, there's plenty of other things happening, including the latest with uh, the uh, congressional investigation into potential financial improprieties from the Washington Commanders. We're going to get into a bunch of that here on this podcast. Uh, Dan Kaplan, one of our sports business writers at The Athletic, he had a story up on Monday morning with regards to what he has learned in, in this situation, who is the person that is speaking to Congress, what do we make of where things stand, or were statements issued today by the organization as well. So a lot to get to there. In addition to that, we're going to talk some football. Mike Clay, ESPN, known for his fantasy football work, but also does a lot of prognostication for ESPN. Uh, he and I talked about the commander's 2022 forecast and honestly it's kind of surprising but by the numbers and we're obviously still ahead of the draft and numbers don't win you games per se you know you actually have to play the game but there's reasons to be optimistic about the commanders this season uh mike and i will get into that along with thoughts on carson wentz and more with the commanders so we'll get to all that and more here on the standard room only podcast which, of course, you can find on iTunes or Spotify or the Athletic app, and that is important. I mentioned this the other day. I will be doing a first-round mock draft for subscribers only over on the Athletic. My plan is to have that go up on Wednesday. I say my plan, hey, you know, again, with with this team, you never know what's going to be around the corner. But that is the plan, so uh, you can check that out if you subscribe. Either go through directly through the podcast or click on any of my articles and subscribe. There it is a dollar a month for six months. Do that. You'll get everything. Fantastic. Um, before I get to my conversation with Dan Kaplan about the latest news here with regards to this team, just a couple of quick notes. I mentioned my Terry McLaurin article. Um, basically, a lot of people have been wondering, what is taking so long here? Why is... Washington. Why hasn't Washington already signed Terry McLaurin? What you know? What 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 is what is happening here? And, and a couple of takeaways from the article I'll just touch on. One is patience. There is reasons for both sides to be patient. You may wonder why that's the case, but if you look at it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely working for McLaurin's side as the wide receiver market has exploded this offseason, but now there is another wave coming, and that's the 2019 draft class that McLaurin is part of. A bunch of those players, including DK Metcalf, are also in a position to get paid. Does that start a new wave? Where does this where does Terry McLaurin's uh, money land? I, I think it's going to be north of $20 million would be my read at this point, and it's really interesting to see what does that mean for Washington? What are the potential fallouts if they do keep him? Um, I did talk to Ron Rivera, so you can check all that out over on The Athletic. Um, in addition, it was a big trade today in the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles, you can look, go find it online, the full 
gist of the trade, but basically the Eagles had three first-round picks in this year's draft, numbers 15, 16, and 19. They traded 16 and 19 with some other things to the Saints, who had pick 18. Uh, So the Saints give up 18 and a future first next year, along with some other picks, I believe a second round, a future second as well. Uh, The Eagles get off of one of these three guaranteed contracts. The Saints pick up a second first that puts them in position to possibly draft a quarterback as well as, say, an offensive tackle or a wide receiver. Also, doesn't give them the ammo to move up higher into the first round if they want. Perhaps there was something to that as well. We've obviously discussed the idea of would Washington, you know, I I think ideally would like to trade down. That's my view, not necessarily theirs. Um, Not saying that this does that by any stretch, but it's an interesting deal to say the least. Um, And and that uh, I'll have a funny story about that trade when we get to the mock draft um, podcast in, in a little bit. So, so that's kind of the gist of what's going on. It's been pretty quiet otherwise on the Washington team front. Still waiting for them to do more in free agency. At this moment, they've only signed the two outside free agents, both of which have Carolina ties. There's still some holes to work out. Still have a lot of time. There's still a bunch of free agents on the market. But right now, it is a very quiet time here. Gives us a chance to catch up on Terry McLaurin's situation, which I did. And it's also an opportunity to discuss everything else that's going on here with the Commanders. Off the field, there's always off-the-field topics. So we're going to get into it right now. Dan Kaplan and I talked about what is going on here with um, these talk of financial improprieties, um, irregularities, however, whatever you want to say. Where's the fact? Where's the fiction? What do we make of, of, of the whole situation? Dan and I will get to that. And then Michael and I having some good old football talk as well. Uh, we also talked, Mike Clay and I also got into the rookie wide receivers because he's done analysis on that. So we discussed some of those players because obviously for Washington, that could be what they target. Uh, by the way, if you missed it in my last podcast, I talked to Zach Kiefer, our Colts insider, because there were more comments from Jim Ursay, of course, last week about Carson Wentz. So if you missed that, make sure you go check that out. And let me just quickly mention, if you want to follow these guys on Twitter, Mike is at Mike Clay NFL and Dan Kaplan is at Kaplan Sports Biz B-I-Z. All right, let's get to it. Uh, We'll start with Dan Kaplan and talking about the latest with Washington Commanders and Congress here on the Standard Group Only podcast. All right, joining me here on the podcast, as promised, he's one of our sports business reporters. At The Athletic, he had a new story up today with regards to what is going on with Dan Snyder, talk of financial irregularities, uh, Congress and all that. He is Dan Kaplan. Dan, I appreciate the time. You have been uh, busy over the last uh, couple of days. You're always busy, but you've been busy in my world uh, dealing mm-hmm. with this team. You you had a lot of stuff also over the last year or so talking about the Dan Snyder and the minority owners and Bruce Allen. So you're not just coming into this cold you've had a lot throughout this process uh i appreciate the time uh we're we're gonna just sort of recap kind of where we are but just uh this never ends here it 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 is a never-ending conversation about this every every hour there's a new development someone puts out a new statement there's a dueling statement there's a dueling story um it's just uh what what a headache 
what a headache you want once the ball starts getting rolling it just doesn't seem to stop and then there's a, the, almost the worst part is the lull on the action because you know at any minute you try to go back to like i don't know having some sort of a life you know at any minute something is going to happen but right now we're definitely in the midst of it so i wanted to sort of like catch everybody up i i'm sure people have to some degree that maybe they've read your article or they've caught some of the other information but either way let's just kind of catch everybody up here really quick um and feel free you know, to interject if I'm forgetting something. But the the broad strokes are uh, the other day, we're talking on Monday night, but the other day, the Washington Post had a story initially saying that uh, the House Oversight Committee was doing some sort of an investigation into Dan Snyder and the commander's organization, not specifically to the previous conversations about harassment, but something different about financial uh irregularities yeah uh basic and and that was sort of the the broad gist of of that then a subsequent report from front office sports came out saying that the 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 story was that the teams each team is supposed to give uh some money to to each other put it in a big pool and then the money gets spread out and that washington was maybe having multiple financial books thus keeping some of the money away from their partners uh didn't seem to be a lot of meat on that bone, but you know we don't quite know how it is. Uh, and, and also, where was the information coming from? And then this is kind of where you jumped in today. And why don't you just sort of pick us up from there, what you uh, reported today? Sure. I had multiple sources telling me that uh, a former team executive who was in ticketing, uh, Jason Friedman, he was then been with the team for 24 years until he was terminated in 2020. Uh, he he went in voluntarily to the committee and testified uh, to this alleged financial irregularities and the, the alleged scheme to deprive Snyder's fellow owners of revenue sharing, and that it was his testimony that, you know, seemed to have triggered these stories. Um, uh, wh whether he has the background to, to know all this, whether he has an axe to grind, as seems to be inferred by statements by the Republican minority spokesperson on the committee. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's all out there. Um, and then, uh, I'm sure you can bring us up to speed, there were some more developments since my story came out. Yeah, uh, some more developments. You could say the, the team put out a statement that I'm going to bear with me. I'm going to try to pull up and read here uh really quick it was a pretty aggressive statement if if i do say so it was aggressive they uh i mean they <laughs> they appear to threaten mr freeman with perjury yeah so the the statement is quote this is from a team spokesperson quote there has been absolutely no withholding of ticket revenue at any time by the commanders those revenues are subject to independent audits by multiple parties Anyone who offered testimony suggesting a withholding of revenue has committed perjury, plain and simple. And I do want to emphasize here, this is interesting to me, that this is a statement that did come through the team. This was not a separate statement from Dan Snyder or his attorneys, which we have often seen in the past, this type of sort of tone and, and, and pushback. This did come through the team. I do think that's notable, especially when we're talking at a point in time of we had been talking the other day about is Dan Snyder sort of running Washington on a day-to-day -day basis? I, this is not necessarily proof of anything, but I did think it was interesting that, like I said, that this statement came through the team and not separately through um, through his uh, attorney or, or, or separate 
PR. Uh, there was a subsequent statement off of that from attorney Lisa Banks, who represents Mr. Friedman. It's a longer statement, and I, I will just sort of quickly paraphrase that basically she's saying that he, uh, her, her client, uh, testified uh, or spoke to the committee at their request, um, provided, she said, quote, with evidence, uh, but that he is under some restraints to discuss this publicly because of a contractual matter, I guess, an NDA, NDA, I presume, but he would be willing to speak if he's able to do so. And she's he's awaiting the, the team um, response to that. Um, well, there's a, well, a couple of things I'd, I'd ask, I would ask Lisa. Uh, well, first, I did reach out to Lisa yesterday for the story, and, she, and I, I directly asked her about the evidence issue, because I'd been told by one source uh, familiar with the committee that, uh, that Mr. Freeman provided no evidence, unless you consider his testimony to be evidence. Uh, Lisa de- declined to comment, which, uh, you know, I, I, I thoroughly understand it's very these are very sensitive matters um but you know she's now saying he did provide evidence it would be interesting to see if she would say what type of evidence does he have documents what is what does he have what does he exactly have evidence evidence of so um it, it as i get to in the story the concept that dan snyder was skimming off the top of this revenue sharing pool if he was doing it, it's hard to imagine it could be kept secret for long. There's audits, uh, there's uh, the CFO, the treasurer has to certify the results. Um, it would be it would become abundantly clear, I would imagine, to the league office, which 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 audits which does the audits as well as the NFLPA that something was awry. But um, we'll have to see how this plays out. Yeah, and and like it is important to sort of go step by step here with the both what the facts as we know them and just sort of an understanding of the process because obviously look a lot of washington fans get very excited every time something comes up there's a new development is this possibly going to take dan snyder down so on and so on and you know to me as it was presented initially it seemed like there was not a ton there and you obviously sort of expounded on that um with with your with your reporting um the audit part does seem confusing i mean the meaning the the checks and balances that are going on here on the, on the team level, my understanding is that each team has their own auditor, they, you know, their own accountant, I should say, that goes that goes through this step. Then from there, it goes up to the NFL level, and the NFL has their own uh, system that gets checked out. And that's even before then it goes to the IRS and so on. So this and is the happening. NFLPA, remember the union also. Yes. Right. Uh, as it was explained to me by a uh, former NFL business executive, um, for, for this to work, for if indeed they were skimming off the top um, uh, of this pool, they would have to submit false documentation to the NFL. Uh, lower number of ticket sales, lower number of seats in the manifest. Um, I mean, it's not, it's, it's a pretty involved scheme. Is it possible that there were underlings of Snyder's who did this? Um, it's always, it's, Look, it's possible. It's not impossible. It's certainly not impossible that it it, it occurred. Um, that's what this executive told me, Frank Hawkins, that it's not impossible. It could be done, but it almost certainly would be found out rather quickly. And the the incentive to do it for Snyder, at least, 
uh, is pretty puny in terms of what he would gain in terms of maybe a few million dollars. Uh, so uh, if it was done, uh, it probably was not, it was probably someone underneath Snyder. Even if any of this were to be accurate, we don't know exactly a time frame, right? I mean, this this, uh, this employee, as you pointed out, was there for 24 years. Dan Snyder's owned the team since 1999. So who knows at what point this hypothetically could have happened. But uh, yeah, the idea that like, uh, in terms of recent time, Washington is the team benefiting from this aspect. They're, they're, they're sellout crowds are long removed from from this place they're the ones getting the money not the, the ones thing, then one thing that hasn't come out in terms of this allegation that freeman has made is we don't know what time period he's alleging that it occurred if it occurred recently perhaps you I mean yes recently it makes no sense would it have made sense 15 16 years ago when they were uh, sell, selling out regularly and had had the waiting list one thing i would point out um and i'm and who and it's who knows if this is this was a uh, uh, an issue or not, but the teams get what are called uh, club seat premium waivers. When they build the stadium, uh, they go they, they, before the stadium the league stadium financing pool was in place, which was, was put in place in 1999. Jack Hancock Stadium was built in 1997. They, they, the, the commanders at the time went to the league and said, look, uh, and, and all and teams at that period of time would do this. They would say, we want to waive putting into the visiting share, the visiting share of revenue, gate revenue, uh, the premiums on the club seats. And they, and that would be excluded from this sharing. I'm sorry, I'm a little convoluted, but for 15 years from 97 to 2012, this was excluded. Is it possible? This is what Freeman is looking at. I, I don't know, but it, it gets very complicated when you talk, when you're talking about the sharing of this revenue. By the way, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about all this. This is why they charge $50 for parking, right? Because that money stays with them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. They don't have to uh, worry about, I guess, uh, hiding that from the, the other owners. <laughs> right. Right. So look, obviously we'll have to see where this goes. At least if, if the attorney for Jason Friedman is saying he's there with evidence, what does that mean? We Nothing that's been reported has shown much. And as you said, according to people you've spoken to, doesn't seem like there's much there, but as we know, typically with all these Dan Snyder stories, you know, whatever you pull a thread and who knows what else comes from behind it. So as, as we sit here now and we ponder what, what, what is next, what comes to mind for you? This is the, in terms of the business side of things, this is your, your, your world. Like what, 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 what are you kind of thinking about as, as we kind of, wait to see what, what, what happens here. Well, we want to see what happens at the committee level. Um, uh, that, that's the next step. Where, where, where is this headed? Is the committee going to bring in new witnesses? Uh, are the Republicans going to make any kind of statements about uh, beyond what their spokesperson said, denigrating the investigation? And particularly, it turned out Mr. Freeman's testimony uh, they testified there was a witness who testified to the opposite of Freeman, and that witness was uh, in a better position to know. Um, it, it, this is all, look, all these stories, all of this is coming from the committee. Uh, Freeman, if Freeman hadn't testified at the committee, none of these stories likely happened. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's up to Congress where this story goes right now. 
let me swing this back to where we were a few days ago. You were there at the owners meeting with me in Florida. I assume you were in the room when Roger Goodell spoke. Yes, I was in the room and I know what you're getting at when he said that uh, Dan Snyder is still not operating the team and it's up to him, the commissioner, to decide that. Right. And and so, uh, you know, obviously there was immediate, uh, I wouldn't say a pushback. I wrote a story in January saying, hey, Ron Rivera is saying he has talked to Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder about where things are with the team, what their plans are going forward, which said to me, well, I mean, if he's not back, if he's not doing anything, then what's the, what, what are we talking about here? So it, I didn't quite understand why Goodell said whatever he said. I am just curious, have, I haven't talked to you about this, um, but from your perspective, as you look at this, because a big part of this, obviously, at the end of the day, a lot of this comes down to what are the NFL owners ever going to do about this if they choose to ever do anything? Whatever, I mean, so much of what we're talking about is not really Congress's purview if they, right tell me if i'm wrong if dan snyder did screw his bosses out of things or his partners out of things i don't know what congress is necessarily doing about that other than maybe trying to expose something but ultimately the nfl is going to have to deal with this in their own right like, what do you kind of make of kind of where things stand from the nfl perspective um uh, on this because again it's not just this one moment in time it's everything that's gone on for the last couple of years well first of all on the revenue sharing question i haven't heard one iota from the nfl that they think this is true and that uh, uh, that uh, there's a problem where they're going to investigate. We'll, we'll see where that lands. In terms of the comments Goodell make, made, there's clearly a tension between the commanders and the NFL office. When Tiffany Johnston testified at that congressional roundtable that Snyder had harassed her and tried to force her into a limo, uh, the NFL quickly said, we'll investigate this. Uh, and then, as you remember, the commander said, no, no, we'll investigate this. And there was about a, a week of uh, dueling statements between the, the sides and finally the commanders backed off. Um, and there was some sense like finally the NFL had had enough of Dan Snyder and his and his antics. So um, that that I, I was thinking about that when Roger Goodell made his comments about that Dan Snyder hadn't been in the facility and he wasn't in charge when all the evidence suggests otherwise, that this is just really power semantics between the two sides. Uh, Goodell wants to give the, wants to make it clear he's the boss of the, of Dan Snyder and Dan Snyder wants to make it clear he's the boss of Roger Goodell. Uh, So there's a lot of that going back and forth at the end of the day, whether Dan Snyder's in the facility making decisions it, look, it, it's an internal NFL issue. Um, it's not a good look for the NFL. Uh, those who hate Dan Snyder want him out. Those who want him punished want him out. But the league clearly is not going there. Going there. And whether he's in the facility or not in the facility, or Goodell's going to have a powwow with him, a sit down with him. Um, you know, these are all internal NFL political issues. Absolutely, and and. I guess the one thing to sort of connect all this, the one thing that was interesting in the moment with when, when the idea of could there be some sort of financial improprieties happening is that if you're going to get these, these billionaires to act, the money, unfortunately, may be what it is to trigger as opposed to some other issues that, you know, socially you would like to hope that people would, would react to. But that aside, the fact that the money was involved is what I think people, some got, some people got it, 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 excited. Um, and that is that I received some messages from some, you know, some people in the, that have been 
public figures in this story, you know, saying how disappointing it is that uh, it wasn't enough, the sexual harassment scandals, that that wasn't enough, that uh, people were now talking about forcing Snyder out over not sharing with his partners, that that would be the final straw and not the toxic culture that uh, he he lorded over for so many years. Right. And, and so I guess just to that point, like, I'm not asking you to divulge sources, but just your own gut instinct, having covered this league for a while. Is there, do you think that we're, there will be, that there, there, there could be an actual tipping point for these owners in some way, shape or form? Because to me, when people ask me, what's it going to take? I just, regardless of whatever the, the, the topic is at that moment, like we're dealing with this financial conversation, it's, it comes down to the, those, those owners. Well, 24 of them at 24 of, of the 32 or 31 really have to say, we're voting him out basically I, I i i'm not convinced that that's going to happen but you you you've been around this for a, a, a while what what's your read of that room just in general do you think they'll ever have the temerity to do something um well i think if the owners felt he was stealing from them and it was a and it wasn't a one time you know it wasn't like a hiccup it was there wasn't an easily excusable excuse if they felt he was stealing from them over an extended period of time yeah i think there's no doubt they would they would move to to get get rid of him, um, but that's a that's a that's a big if. We, we've seen the kind of behavior that the team and he engaged in for so many years, and there's no indication that the league would try to get rid of him. And it's sort of a glass house type situation. If they if they try to get rid of him, he he's going to throw stones the other direction. He probably knows a lot of dirty laundry among owners in the league. And he has certainly demonstrated he's willing to use a legal arsenal to fight his enemies. Absolutely. Uh, it is a never ending story. As we discussed, uh, whatever the twists and turns will come certainly on the business side, we'll, we'll be re- reaching out to you, Dan, um, you can follow Dan on Twitter at Kaplan sports biz B I Z and make sure you go read his story on the athletic explaining what is going on here? Who is the the person talking to the, the, the committee? And what do we make of everything? Dan, I appreciate it. There's uh, one, one thing I wanted to say. Yeah. That one point. Um, it was interesting that Lisa Banks, the lawyer for Freeman, and she's also the lawyer for, I believe, over 40 of the women who, uh, who have alleged sexual harassment during right. their time working for the commanders, that Freeman can't talk because of a contractual, uh, some sort of contractual conflict, which he didn't fill out. But he did testify to the committee. Um, so I, I'd be interested, to, be interested to hear her lay out exactly who he can talk to and why it was okay for him to talk to the committee, but not okay to, you know, talk otherwise. And he did. He was the when Tiffany Johnston made her comments to that roundtable. Uh, a couple months ago, he, I believe, was the one who had was was offering uh, b- backing her up that that he, I guess he, I don't know, if, I can't remember if he witnessed it, but I think that was the point. He the was chairwoman of the committee, Carolyn Maloney, during the roundtable after she t- after Tiffany Johnson testified, he said she had received a letter from Freeman uh, 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 corroborating the part of her story in which she said Snyder tried to force her into the limo. Right. So, right. It's, it's a, uh, right. Well, where are you able to talk and not able to talk? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. The, the stories like this, it makes me wish I had gotten a law degree. Um, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Psychology degree might be better. <laughs> I was a sociology major technically, but that's been a minute. I don't really remember anything. I took a couple psych classes, but I don't think I did very well. Maybe we need an anthropology degree instead. <laughs> we need something. We certainly need probably a stiff drink. Um, Dan, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. All right. We are about to get a bit smarter here because coming on here on the podcast, one of ESPN's NFL prognosticators. I know him from his fantasy football world, but he has expanded to much more than that working with ESPN. He is uh, Mike Clay. Mike, it is a pleasure, man, to catch up. How is life uh, up in Connecticut? Uh, it's uh, it's still cold, still too cold up here. You know, I, uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, right? My first 30 years on the on the earth and the climate's not too much different up here, but I feel like we're missing spring. You know, I need a little more spring, a little more uh, warmer temperatures so I can go outside and, and bring out the laptop and do work out there. But um, otherwise, can't complain. Uh, happy to be at the uh, worldwide leader, just grinding year round uh, on all this all this NFL content, I feel like it's the, the league is busier than it's ever been before. Um, not even just this year, this year has been crazy, but even the last say five, six years, uh, there's always something going on. There's always work to be done and I uh, can't complain though. You know, it's a, we, we love covering this sport and uh, uh, it's been, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. I do think, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that, like, you know, I know like the NFL players pay attention to the NBA players when it comes to money, you know, because the, the salaries over there are, are quite different, typically, other than for the non-quarterbacks in this sport. But it just in terms of the activity also, we always talk about the NBA offseason in really dramatic, crazy ways. And it all you know, year-round, there's players that are moving, huge trades happen. And that's historically not been the case in the NFL. But it does make me – it has made me wonder, not just the players, but how are the teams paying attention to the splashiness that goes on over there. And not just so much making a move for the sake of making a move – but thinking like, hey, it's okay to be aggressive. It, you don't have to be a little stodgy, which maybe is sort of what the NFL was kind of like for the majority of its history. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think what happened with the Rams last season is just going to exacerbate that, right? You know, we saw a team that we kind of raised our eyebrow the past couple of years thinking, all right, this team doesn't care much for draft picks. They're going to trade all their first rounders away for players. And uh, that's a bold strategy. We'll see if that works out. And guess what? They won the Super Bowl, right? So uh, it did work. And I maybe not coincidentally, the following offseason, it's the most chaotic in NFL history. You know, so teams are getting more aggressive. Um, You know, some teams have been like that for years. You know, I think about, you know, someone who grew up in Pennsylvania watching Howie Roseman work. You know, he's always been unafraid to make the bold moves. Uh, But we're seeing that across the league now. Teams are just uh, doing whatever they can, uh, mortgaging the future, trying to win now. Uh, and it's it's led to some some shocking moves. I mean, some of them not were totally a surprise. You know, like Russell Wilson getting moved. Uh, you know, we thought that might be the case. It seemed to quiet down, and then out of nowhere, that the trade happened. But you know, Tyree Kill. I mean, who saw that coming? That just out of nowhere, the trade rumor came up, and then within a couple hours, he was gone. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. So uh, that's been that's been the nature of the offseason. By the way. You know, when Roger Goodell took over his commissioner, there were some adjustments to the, the league schedule. You know, and and at the point of that was was pretty clear to get more of these these sometimes you know small or moderate events kind of in the limelight uh, and we've seen that more with the combine as well moving it to prime time and adjusting that schedule but the schedule has kind of been adjusted the calendar year to so that the nfl is you know getting coverage more and more often there's less dead time um, and that certainly keeps us busy 
For sure. By the way, uh, you you said the term uh, bold strategy when talking about the Rams. I think it's the first time in years I've heard somebody say bold strategy without then saying cotton after it. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to lie. It popped into my head. It did <laughs> pop into my head when I said it. <laughs> um, but and, and just so, since we're here really quick, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the Rams and people maybe kind of looking a little bit askew about what they were doing. But what's interesting about the NFL, and I actually did talk about this subject a bit with some people at the NFL owners meeting. I used to cover the NBA primarily. And in that sport, trading draft picks away literally was mortgaging your future because it's a two-round draft. And for the majority of the second round, you draft the guy, you might as well give him a passport because he's probably going to go play overseas or some something like that. But in the NFL, if you never had a first or second round pick ever, every single draft, you still are going to draft starters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just to look at use our team here or my team here in Washington, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, third round picks. Cam Curl, a seventh round pick. Cole Holcomb, a fifth round pick. Chase Ruye, a sixth round pick. And I'm not saying these are the best players necessarily, but they're all obviously some pretty good guys. And for any team, you typically are going to get guys who are starters or at least significant contributors throughout the draft. The difference is you're losing out potentially on the premium guys at the top of the draft. But even then, again, we just, you know, talked about uh, McLaurin, who's one of the better receivers in the league. And, you know, we see all the time players who, who come up, come up later. So if you, if you make those trades, the key is you've got to hit on the right veterans. You can't get a guy who then comes in and just flops like Seattle obviously made an aggressive made with move with uh, Jamal Adams. And that didn't work out so much for them. Whereas for the Rams, pretty much almost all their deals largely worked out. So it, I, I, I guess my point is like, it feels like the mortgaging the future angle is a bit overstated because you can still get a lot of guys who can contribute, you know, in, in rounds mm-hmm. three through seven. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, unless you're in a situation where it's an early round pick, I mean, I guess even then you're going to have bust. I mean, I remember a few years ago, a guy actually just that just signed with a new team at the Jets, Solomon Thomas was considered a, a sure thing. You know, he was the sure thing from that draft and the Niners were applauded for making that pick. I believe he was third overall. Uh, obviously that hasn't worked out. You know, he's, he's hung on as a rotational guy. So uh, you're exactly right. Um, the one thing I will say though, is, and this sort of relates to Washington the past couple of years, if you're in the quarterback market and you trade away your first round pick and you lose out on a top 10 pick when you need a quarterback, that absolutely is mortgaging your future because yeah, you can sit there and say Tom Brady, this and Kirk cousins that, you know, you can find these guys that weren't picked in the first round, but you know, do, do a quick gander uh, across the 32 teams and tell me who their franchise quarterback is. And when they were picked, almost every single one was picked in the first round of the draft. I mean, yeah, there are busts in the first round, but the franchise quarterbacks still come from the first round of the draft. So that's the big one. That's the big one. If you mess up a chance to get a franchise quarterback by doing something like trading away that pick and a bad deal, uh, that's that's the one that stings. For, for sure. And I think like, Again, in the NF in the NBA, there is the lottery, and they've now weighted the lottery mm-hmm. such that you don't necessarily have to have the worst record to have significantly better odds than other teams. The NFL, there's no there's no odds. You have to be the bottom to get those picks. That's why, like, uh, like if I was say advising Carolina, I would I would have said to them, look, just just accept the tank, drop all the way to the bottom, let Sam Sam Darnold do whatever he's going to do, go down get in position to take Bryce Young or CJ Stratt or, or whoever the the guy will be the, the number one perceived top quarterback next year. That's how you get further. So when you go sort of do what Washington did, Carson Wentz is an upgrade, we think, over what they had over the last couple of years. And maybe, and 
this is kind of why I wanted to have you on because you had some interesting uh, data that you put out today about Washington. Maybe Carson Wentz helps them, but enough to get sort of out of the middle. That's the question. And he'll be good enough that they won't be in the position to get um, the, the, the top court, you know, the in position to get the perceived top quarterbacks. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the challenge that you face when you don't bottom out basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, if they make the playoffs, they're probably going to stick with Wentz right a little longer, just like sure. Indianapolis may have had they beat Jacksonville and made the playoffs last year. Cause let's be honest, the, and this kind of bakes into the analysis on Wentz is, you know, it's easy to forget because how they finished and the fact that they missed the playoffs and everything that's gone on since, but there was like a six to six, seven week period, I would say in November and the December where the Colts were the best team in the NFL. And that might sound crazy talk right now, but if you think back and you look at the box scores and watch the tape, whatever you do, uh, the Colts were rolling. I mean, they were scoring four or five touchdowns a game and just crushing teams. They were on a roll and then it just fell apart right at the end. But, uh, and Wentz was playing well. And by most, uh, most metrics, he was at worst an average NFL starter, really a little bit, a bit above average. This is just objective measurements like, you know, QBR and, and the advanced stats, uh, EPA, so, you know, so forth and so on. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think he's good enough that unless this is a complete situation where there's injuries and everything falls apart, that they're probably going to contend at the very minimum for a playoff spot. And then if they decide, look, we want to go after a franchise quarterback next season, it's going to cost a lot. It's going to cost a whole bunch of first round picks, maybe a good player to move their way up and, and do that. So uh, uh, it's an interesting move, but at the same time, as we're going to get into here, I do think they have the roster to potentially win the division and, and, you know, it's going to be tough to contend, uh, you know, for that top spot perhaps with the teams like green Bay and Tampa Bay, you know, uh, in the mix. But I do think Washington does have a top five team in the NFC, believe it or not. Well, and that's why we wanted to, I, want, I wanted to have you on because you know, I, the strength of schedule is, I mean, it's discussed, so it's not an underrated topic, but at the same point, sometimes I feel like it is the most important variable that any team is going to get beyond say injuries. And, and you know, clearly the quarterback play is always um, very important, but this Washington's like when Ron Rivera's first year, they had a relatively easy strength of schedule and they ended up winning a terrible NFC East that year with seven wins last year, their strength of schedule, having then won the division, getting a first place schedule much harder core every week. It felt like they were facing a legitimate, you know, top-notch quarterback. Now they did still get the seven wins, but you know, it felt a little smoke and mirrors ease for a lot of that, but okay. But now, and this is like I noted, uh, Warren Sharp tweeted this and then you did as well. Washington based on current projections has the easiest strength of schedule for next year. And you look at it, they they play the teams that currently hold the first three picks in this draft, Jacksonville, Detroit, and Houston. They would play the Giants twice. Obviously, the Giants hold the fifth pick. And they would play the Falcons, who have the eighth pick. And the Bears had the seventh pick. They traded it out for the in the Justin Fields trade last year. So that's a bunch. Of, I didn't do the math. A bunch of games against teams that are perceived to be bad right now because they're picking in the top 10, not to mention, it's not like the NFC East in general. There's no dynamic team at the top. I know Dallas is not bad, but we'll see. So that's pretty good. And if they can, if Wentz can play well, if they avoid stupid injuries and you know don't have a constant trauma team out there every week. Uh, yeah. I mean, just based on that alone, they should be in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I have them with the easiest schedule in the NFL. I actually have the 
Uh, Eagles second, the Giants third at the moment, which just tells you the state of that uh, division, not to mention, you know, the other uh, divisions that they're playing. So uh, no doubt about it. I, I think it lines up really well. I guess that's kind of a, a benefit for Washington as, as it pertains to maybe getting a wild card. Um, as again, I think they'll contend for the division, but at the very minimum, contending for a wild card, having an easy schedule helps. But again, the division as a whole, I have them all top eight, all, all four teams in the top eight in terms of easiest schedule. So uh, I'm with you. I think it helps a lot uh, and is going to help help with, help them win some games. You know, two, three games could be the difference and, and get them into the playoffs. So uh, no doubt about it. It's it's important at least, you know, and, and again, you mentioned Warren Sweets and he made some good points, which. Um, it's something I've talked about before, which is the extremes. A lot of times you just have to focus in on the extremes and you can learn from that. Um, and Washington being at the extreme tells us that they're probably going to have um, a very easy or at least a moderately easy schedule, right? It's unlikely to be really tough barring, you know, us massively misevaluating a whole bunch of teams. And maybe that happens, you know, maybe there's three teams under schedule that are way better than expected and the schedule is way tougher. It's possible. But is it likely? No. So you could probably feel pretty comfortable as a Washington fan that the schedule, worst case scenario, will be average, but it's probably going to be one of the lightest ones in the league. And, you know, obviously quarterbacks are not the end all be all when we come to these things. But obviously that's tends to how we kind of react, at least at least those uh, us laymen. You, you, you've got your you've got your numbers to, to help guide you. But you know, in terms of just broad perceptions, what quarterbacks are on the schedule? Right. So for Washington this year, there's a game with Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. He's pretty good. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, but they do face, uh, I believe, Cleveland's on the schedule. So that's a thing. Yep, it is. But after that, okay, you know, Dak Prescott's good. They got to deal with him twice. Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. Then you're like your Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. If Carson Wentz, if the good version of Carson Wentz comes out, other than Rodgers and Watson and maybe Dak, I. I'm not looking at these matchups going, well, the Washington has the lesser quarterback in almost any game they're going to mm-hmm. play this year. And that is obviously a huge deal. The defense has to play well and things like that, but that's a huge deal. That definitely wasn't the case last year where, you know, all praise to Taylor Heineke, but you know, every week he was the underdog almost no matter who they played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, and that's why I have them favored in so many games here. I'm looking at, you know, some, uh, you know, some early win probabilities, right? And essentially this says if it's more than 50%, they're probably going to be favored by maybe at least a half a point, maybe three, four points. And I have them favor right now in 11. Uh, and the only games where they're, you know, clear underdogs, Green Bay, you know, that game is actually in Washington, which helps a little bit, upset potential there. Dallas is on the road. I have them as a clear underdog there. But, and then there's a couple of close ones in San Francisco, hosting Dallas slight underdog uh, in Indianapolis, uh, as you mentioned against Matt Ryan, that's a, basically a toss up, you know, so Cleveland, of course, that depends when that game is. I mean, if they, you know, we'll see when the schedule comes out, if that's in the first six weeks of the season, who knows, they might, there might not be Deshaun Watson. They might be facing uh, Jacoby Brissett. If that's the case, obviously Washington has a shot to be favored there. If it's later in the season, maybe, you know, maybe not. So uh, nonetheless, the schedule lines up as about as good as you can get on paper right now. We're going to see how it pans out, but for now, uh, it's it's a good spot to be in. Um, l- let me go back to the Carson Wentz of it all. Now, you are a numbers guy, but obviously you're a smart football guy. You don't just blindly look at the numbers, I, I don't think, and you you take everything into totality, including your own view of the thing and, and uh, of the games and all that. The Carson Wentz situation, although I am curious how, how it works, though, from your perspective, because so the trade happens. 
I, like anybody else, immediately think, oh, okay, Carson Wentz. And we look at, like, I know what he did last year, and I know how the season ended terribly for everybody, but I wasn't watching him play to play game to game. So you look at the numbers, 27 touchdowns, seven picks. Boy, that sounds pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. And we all immediately start pointing to some of these things. This is what Washington is getting. But when I then began talking to people that covered the team or around the team and things like that, it was like those numbers are very deceiving. That every play it felt like with him was a roller coaster ride. He makes poor decisions, plays too much hero ball, things like that. How do you then factor this in when you're doing your numbers? Where on the one hand, 27 and seven seems good, and of course, there's ton, that, those are the most basic stats I just threw out there. There's all kinds of advanced numbers that give a clearer picture. But when you look at the number, how do you for anybody who's looking at that, going, why do people sort of crap on Carson Wentz when the numbers look good when mm-hmm. There's other variables. How do you put or sort of put that in, in total? Yeah. So it's kind of like the opposite of uh, NFL draft prospects right now, where people are like, Ooh, I I like this guy. And they watch his three minute highlight uh, clip on YouTube. And they're like, Whoa, this guy's perfect. He doesn't man. Wow. Do you see this? Look at this Jalen Rager guy, man. See these plays he's making. That's crazy. But they don't watch his all the mistakes, you know, all the drops and the fumbles, (laughs) you know, they, they miss all that stuff. I, um, by the way, I, you can you can tell which team Mike rooted for as a young man when he mentions Jalen oh, yeah. Rager as the uh, as the example of something to be a uh, weary of. But go ahead, one hundred percent, because that's the issue I had with him going in. You know, I was like, why is everyone on this guy? You know, the highlights are good, but the lowlights are really, really, really bad, and it's a lengthy list. Um, hopefully, he turns it around. But uh, I was not uh, not fond of that move. But um, I think it's kind of the opposite with Wentz, right? You know, it's people enjoy kind of picking on him, and you know, you pick apart the bonehead plays that he made, which there's a few of them. But um, you know, week to week, play to play, I thought he I thought he was fine. Look, if you attempt five what 516 passes and throw seven interceptions, and you're aggressive, by the way, this isn't Alex Smith we're talking about. Okay, he's been above average. Uh, at times well above average and average depth of throw the past couple of years. Uh, and, and again, he was in the 60 for, 61st percentile in that last year. You know, it's pretty good. You know, it's, that's, that's, man, seven picks. And by the way, he's thrown exactly seven interceptions four of his past five seasons, right? So that's a trend where he doesn't turn it over. And that's a really underrated deal in, in the NFL is not turning the ball over. So, um, so, you know, I look at that. I think that's fine. You know, again, those numbers can be misleading at times, no doubt about it. But then you look at, Again, some of these incredible efficiency metrics that exist, right? So um, QBR, he finished eighth. Uh, EPA, 16th, so about mid-pack. Any over-attempt, adjusted net yards over-attempt, which is a pretty good uh, projectable advanced stat, 13th. You know, if you are into quarterback rating, you know, fine, it has its flaws, but he was 15th in that. Uh, And offensive grade over a PFF, that's the one where he does suffer, but he was 23rd in that category. But you know, you kind of consider all those together and you're thinking, all right, worst case scenario, a top 20 quarterback, maybe top 16 as a, in the league. I mean, okay, that's fine. You know, you put that in there with a, you know, maybe a balanced offense with a good defense, a good offensive line, decent weapons. And suddenly you're a team that can contend or maybe even make the playoffs. 14 teams make the playoffs. I mean, you know, can, can he carry a team there? Absolutely. He almost did last year. So uh, I, I think he's, I guess the word is serviceable, you know, uh, but I will say this. The main concern I have here is not really on the field. It's what's going on behind the scenes. Why was, why, why was, why did everything fall apart in Philly after they won the Super Bowl so quickly? 
And why did it take less than a year to fall apart in Indianapolis where they just couldn't wait to move on? It, I, look, I, I thought Wentz played well enough that just keeping him for another season would make sense if we're just talking on field play, but there was more to it. There obviously was. So that's what bothers me is every, is the, everything just going to fall apart for Washington because of things that aren't related to what's going on in the field. That, that makes me a little nervous about being high in Washington this year, but again, objectively speaking, it looks like it, it looks like a decent team on paper. Yeah. Um, and, and it is interesting. Obviously I've been paying a lot of attention to what's been said out of Indianapolis uh, Colts owner, Jim Irsay, you know, kind of dumped on Carson Wentz this mm-hmm. week at the owners meeting. And, you know, that's kind of been going on and, and to hear such candid comments about why they moved on from a guy for reasons, like you said, that seemed to go beyond the football field, some of it, but it went beyond that. It's look, it's, it's juicy stuff. It, it's stuff that makes us all go, Whoa, what's going on here. But mm-hmm. to some degree, does it, you know, does it overshadow some of the football stuff? And that's kind of as interested to hear what you said about that. There's a lot there. For sure, with Carson Wentz, we'll, we'll we'll get into that more, of course, as we go forward. Let me ask you about some other guys uh, on Washington. We don't have to go pure fantasy football here, but this is obviously kind of part of your deal as well. Uh, Terry McLaurin, obviously one of the better receivers in the league, yet in, since the time he's been in the league, boy, I mean, who's who's been the best quarterback he's had? Uh, uh, in, uh, Alex Smith on one leg? Um, you know, he has not had exactly... A, a great group of quarterbacks. Carson Wentz will be his best quarterback by a lot. Ron Rivera told us that when they started looking at the tape on Wentz, that what stood out to them was the, his ability to get the ball down the field. And that's not an element Washington had last year with Taylor Heineke. So what do you think this kind of means for McLaurin, a guy who's already been showing he's really good. He's already put up good stats. What do you think this could do for him this year? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, like you said, he, in the conditions he's been in, he has 900 plus yards all three seasons so far, right? And he's been reliable. He's been uh, near the top of the leaderboard, a wide receiver and snaps played each of the last two years. And speaking of the vertical element, I mean, think about this. So last year, you know, 77 catches a little over a thousand yards and five touchdowns, pretty, pretty darn good season, right? Well, he was first in average depth of route first among wide receivers, right? So that means that they were sending him downfield over and over and over again. And if you don't have a quarterback, that's going to be able to make plays to, you know, to a receiver, because look, the volume's not going to be massive, right? It's going to, it's hard to see a, you know, a 30% target share, which is what elite number one receivers will see at times uh, when you're running so many vertical routes, right? They're just not high percentage throws. So you need someone who, who can get the ball there. So if that continues and he continues running deep downfield and Wentz can get him the football. Yeah, absolutely. He can, he can, go off for uh for a career year he's still in his prime at 26 here or he'll be 26 very soon um so very very optimistic and and again one more thing on on his situation and and washington as a whole because as you can imagine i'm getting the pushback on social media like oh everyone said this last year you know washington this and washington that their starting quarterback got hurt in week one they didn't have their, they played with a backup quarterback the entire season. I mean, come on. That's not, you know, people were high on them because they thought, okay, Ryan Fitzpatrick has played really well the past couple of years. That's a big upgrade. Even if he misses a game or two, that, that's huge. Not to mention the rest of the roster, you know, he goes down in week one. What are you going to do? I mean, this is the NFL here. You lose your starting quarterback. Good luck competing. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Let me ask you just quickly about McLaurin. It, it's hard to somewhat, I mean, you know, we've, pay attention to him the most because that's the guy we have here and there's a lot of reasons to like Terry McLaurin on and off the field 
But because he hasn't had one of these better quarterback, better quarterbacks like Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill, it's kind of hard to exactly gauge where he fits into the wide receiver hierarchy. Even within the 20, even with his draft class, you have Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and, you know, and so on. Like there's a lot of receivers who are really good. Where do you think McLaurin fits in? Like if you, I, I'm sure you probably have some ranking already, but like, wh- where does he actually fit in when you just look at best receivers in the league? Hmm, that's a really, really good question. Um, you know, I'm looking right now at kind of the top guys, your cups and Jefferson and, you know, Diggs, Tyreek, Devontae Adams, you know, I think you could safely put those, you know, the top seven guys uh, ahead. Um, and then, you know, then it's up for grab. I mean, Mike Evans probably putting giving him an edge. DeAndre Hopkins is 30 now, you know, maybe, you know, he's get, getting close to that range. Keenan Allen's there. DK Metcalf, same, he's, DK Metcalf's had the same kind of issue, right? I mean, I know he has Russell Wilson, but he's been so volatile. He's a vertical target. He's had inconsistent production, but that's probably Chris Godwin. Um, that's probably it. I, I, you know, right in that range, I would say top 15, and who knows with great quarterback play or even good quarterback play, maybe we're talking about him as the top 10 player, but uh, I would definitely say if you said he's the 14th or 15th best receiver in the NFL, uh, I don't think anybody could push back too aggressively on that. Um, and just, I've got to get you out of here in a second. Um, the defense. So it looks like based on your, uh, your numbers, you still have them, especially the defensive line uh, projected to have a really, have really good, yeah, there are still obviously some holes they've got to fill. They need another linebacker and another uh, piece of the secondary and things like that. But you have them playing pretty well. How do you sort of factor that in? Whereas on paper, that defensive line in particular should be really good, but clearly they were off last year. So how do you kind of view that situation uh, right now? Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. They underperformed a bit, but also Young and Sweat missed half the season too. So I think you have to consider that as well. Um, but on paper, like you said, it is a it is a stacked unit. It should be one of the best defensive lines in the NFL with Young, Sweat, and then Payne and Allen in the middle. Um, and, you know, I th- again, I think, you know, I peaked at, I'll be completely honest with you, when I was first done running these unit grades, Washington being high jumped out to me. And I thought, ooh, especially defense to be ranked this high, you know, that's a team that struggled last season. I have to dig into this more. Um, and, and yeah, I looked at the PFF grades, two of those four guys up front, they were pretty good, you know, worst case average, you know, best case, they were, they were pretty high, you know, I think it was like mid 80 grades for young and sweat. So, um, I think that's interesting that on tape, they look pretty good. Uh, and again, when you consider that they missed half the season, uh, I think you could kind of feel optimistic that that line still young, super talented can bounce back. And then of course, linebacker Holcomb has panned out for them. That was speaking of, of fines that weren't early round picks. It was a nice one by them. Uh, and, and Davis, you're projecting a little bit of a leap for him in his second season, uh, first round pick last year. I still like Fuller and Jackson. I know Jackson underwhelmed last year, but Fuller Jackson's a, a pretty good one-two punch a corner relative to the rest of the NFL. Uh, still needs some depth at that position, but like that one-two punch. And then McCain Curl, that's that's pretty good at at the safety position. So again, you stack them up at, at those five positions across the NFL, and you're going to say, well, really good interior defensive line, really good edge rusher duo. Uh linebacker you know average maybe a little below average corner a little above average safety a little above average so add that all up and that's a maybe a top five certainly a top 10 defense on paper it's just a matter of translating it uh to you know to the field so uh, we'll see if they can make that make that improvement here in 2022 right so, so you're you've got their defensive ranking fourth overall their offense uh-huh. 15th their special teams 10th oh no wait is that no what is that oh no, so that's overall, overall that's combined 10. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. So overall ranking 10th, obviously people would 
sign up for that. Um, you've got them at 9.8 wins, uh, which you, I think you have here as eighth, be, eighth best projection in the league. All that sounds great, but, <laughs> you know, th- th- they actually have to do it. So the last mm-hmm. question, what do you actually think? I mean, we still have time. They haven't filled out their whole roster, but as it mm-hmm. stands, like how much do you actually just, you know, instinctively buy into this idea that Washington could actually be this good? Uh, you can't trust me. You know, not at all. You just see, <laughs> come on. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, look, I, I, um, I'm i going to, I stay on top of this stuff year round. I'm always adjusting and tweaking. I, you know, I'll do more research and uh, make adjustments here or there. You know, I, I, you know, I feel like maybe my initial instincts on the defensive line are higher than the consensus too, which is something that has me thinking twice about being so high on them. So that's something I'll continue to evaluate year round. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, though, is their offensive line, which, again, that's another thing that popped out to me like, wow, I can't believe how high I am on this offensive line. But again, I've seen other people, uh, other people's evaluations. PFF did rankings. They had them, I believe, six best offensive line. That was after the season. Um, ben, uh, uh, ben Baldwin just posted some analysis. He had them up there top five as well. And, uh, you know, I think the group that they have there is probably underrated and a pretty formidable group. So, um, as someone who does has been doing this analysis for a long time and just trying to objectively keep track of these rosters and see where teams stand, it's hard to argue with it, you know, especially when you're so good in the trenches there on the offensive and defensive line. So uh, a lot's going to come down to Wentz. That makes me nervous about him. I don't think I would get, I don't think I would get too aggressive and put my mortgage on, on the over right now, but would I bet the over right now? Yes, I would. Especially because when you consider everything else and you think about, all right, let's say Mike's a little high. I think they're may, I think they're an average team, right? Let's just say, I think they're an average team. Like we said at the top, that schedule is super easy and that is going to help them get an extra win or two and can get them into the playoffs and certainly over their win total, which I think is too low right now by about two games. And um, so, yeah, I, 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 again, I think the market right now, too low on them i i like the over i think at the very minimum they compete for uh for a playoff spot um, i forgot to ask you one thing apologies we talked about before we started talking i mentioned the draft you said you had done some breakdowns of all the uh, skill players coming into this class uh, at the 11th pick there's a world where washington could take a receiver we saw ron rivera at ohio state's pro day talking up chris olave maybe he pops up this uh, this week uh, at USC's pro day for Drake London. When you look at the receivers, give me a guy or two that you think is pretty interesting in this class, especially for a team like Washington picking at, at number 11. Uh, yeah, no doubt. And I think we saw a team last year, Cincinnati, right? Where uh, they didn't necessarily need a wide receiver. And everyone said, well, they're fools if they don't take Penny Sewell, right? And fix that offensive line. Well, they took Jamar Chase and I don't think they have regrets. So, uh, you know, you might, you might look at Washington and say, well, you know, they took Diami Brown last year and they have Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuels back healthy. You know, maybe they don't have to go that way. They can address something else, but man, why not? You know, if you feel like they're a wide receivers at the top of your board, go for it. Um, and there's plenty of options in this spot. So Drake London's my top receiver. You know, he's pretty much a year younger than almost all of these other top wide receivers uh, other, other than Jameson Williams, who's a half year younger. Uh, half year older, excuse me. Um, so I, I like London. I think he's the top guy on the board. Another awesome vertical presence for them. Um, so, uh, you know, if not him, Garrett Wilson, obviously he's been tied to them quite a bit. Um, smaller guy, but but certainly um, is, a, is a playmaker, fast, you know, can do it all. So, um, yeah, I, look, we don't know what their board looks like, but 
whichever one of these receivers is at the top of their list when they're on the clock, I don't think, you know, they, they have any qualms going that direction. And honestly, maybe they want to trade down, you trade down a few spots and probably get one of these top guys and add another maybe day two draft pick. So uh, curious to see which direction they go, but there's no doubt about it. I think one of these skill guys will be on their radar. Yeah. I mean, I think the perfect scenario for Washington is that a team like new Orleans or Pittsburgh or Tennessee decides they've got to go get one of these quarterbacks and you got to jump up and Washington's sitting there, you trade down Mm -hmm. to get more picks. And then there is plenty of receiver depth later in the first round. So that would be a good way to go. Uh, Another good way to go on Twitter is following Mike. He is at Mike clay NFL. Uh, Like I said, he's a absolutely smart guy when it comes to all things, football, fantasy football, go to, um, and, uh, you know, just don't bring up Jalen Rager. We, we, we found that out. <laughs> yeah, please, please don't, please don't. Speaking of a team that might need to take a receiver in the first round for the third straight year, you don't see that often, uh, shades of the Matt Millen lions, right. Way back when, uh, the Eagles might have to do that with all their first round picks, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting run in the, uh, and in the NFC. So I'm actually a little low on the Eagles, uh, high on high in Washington, still high on Dallas. So, uh, uh, but you know, honestly, who cares these days? It may not matter. All the good teams are in the AFC right now. So I don't even I feel like we're all fighting for to lose the Super Bowl at this point. I haven't I didn't look at your projections uh for the AFC. I can't even comprehend right now to see, I don't know what the order to put to see a team perhaps perhaps like the the Raiders or Broncos like 10th or something. It'd be like, whoa, wait, what how are this team that low? But I mean, there's I, it's just gonna mm-hmm. be an unbelievable year over there. Yeah, think about this. Just a quick note to end on. Uh, the Steelers under Mike Tomlin have never had a losing season and their Vegas win total right now is seven and a half, which would be a losing record. Why? Well, you know, obviously, you know, quarterback question marks, but they have to compete in this conference. I mean, like you said, someone has to lose the game. So you can't, you can't do the math and have every team with a winning record. Someone has to lose. And right now a team starting Mitch Trubisky, probably going to be one of those teams that's going to lose more than they win. Uh, So it's, it is absolute chaos in that conference. And you're right. There will be some good teams I missed the playoffs. Absolutely. All right, man. I definitely appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk soon and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with the commanders. All right. Sounds great. Talk to you soon. All right. Uh, many thanks to Dan Kaplan and Mike Clay for their time. Thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. Uh, as I said, uh, NFL first round mock draft podcast for subscribers only on the athletic. Can make sure you catch that. And uh, read my stuff on The Athletic. I always appreciate it. I sincerely mean that. But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. 